Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on VSEN. We welcome you in. It is another edition of the Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM from downtown Las Vegas. Our Circus Sportsbook Studios, your Tuesday crew during the NFL seasons with Mike Pritchard, former college football national champion at Colorado, longtime NFL wide receiver. I'm Ben Wilson, Patrick and Michael's off days today. Michael back on the show tomorrow. We've got our guy, Matt Santos, producing behind the glass here at Circa. And Mike, I hear two of your former teams, <laughs> the Broncos and Seahawks played each other last night. I, I, or so I heard. Oh, you apparently. just heard that. Okay. Yeah. You know yeah. what? It came across my desk too, uh, that yeah. two of my former teams were getting after it. Uh, no, I, I coined it the Pritchard Bowl. Uh, the rematch of the go. Super Bowl, which was in New York, which I was at that game and, and that Super Bowl, which was kind of kind of crazy to think about. But yeah, Russell Wilson plays for the team that he defeated in the Super Bowl. I think that's the only time it's happened in the history of the game uh, in which a, a player or a quarterback started for the team that he beat in the Super Bowl. Uh, I fact check that, but I think that's accurate. But no, it was a great game. I, I think a lot of good things, a lot of takeaways. Uh, from a betting perspective and a lot of information to file away uh, if you're following these, these two teams all year long. I think we could have an entire show on right. this game and specifically the end of game situations mm-hmm. on its own. And a big show is always for our, our purposes today on this Tuesday where Will Hill, our VEASAN contributor, joins us a little bit later this hour. Josh Applebaum, host of one of our newest podcasts at the network, VEASAN Daily Morning Bets, going to stop by here in about an hour and a half's time. But let's start right at the end of the game, Mike, and we'll work our way back okay. for our reactions here this week one Monday night game. Seahawks get the cash. They went out right, plus 240 money line dogs. Closing is six-point underdogs were as high as seven before some of the late buyback in that spot last night. All unders cash there as well, even with a lot of over money up from 41 and a halves, 42s this summer, up to 44. The end game scenario, though, is the most fascinating to break down at the very start here because Seattle leading by one, trying to prevent Denver from scoring in the final minutes of the game. Third and 14 at the Denver 45 with 111 left. left. Russell Wilson hits Javante Williams for a nine-yard gain, inbounds to the Seattle 46. Denver decides to let the entirety of the play clock run down take a timeout with 20 seconds left, and then elect to send out the kicker, Brandon McManus, for a 64-yard field goal. 
For what it's worth, kickers since 2000 are two for 29 on field goals of 64 yards or more. Last year, NFL teams converted fourth and fives on about a 49% okay. rate. So those are just the raw numbers right. without the context of this specific situation. You barbed the the game last night. McManus mm -hmm. misses the field goal. Game is over. Also should be pointed out, Denver had all three timeouts when this end of game situation played out. What was your reaction in real time watching how, how that all transpired down the street? I was shocked. Uh, Basically shocked the fact that uh, you could screw up clock management that way, uh, certainly. But then you think about it, okay, Hackett's first-time head coach. Uh, Hackett did not play and rehearse these scenarios with his starters in preseason. And I don't even know if they rehearsed this scenario in practice, to be honest with you. Uh, so you're making it up as on, on the fly. And I, I think you gather information. So there's so many layers to this, uh, Ben. Um, prior to that, dri uh, that drive, obviously you have a plan. And you certain things you want to do, where you need to get to, uh, in terms of trying a field goal, or why not have the mentality of scoring a touchdown? Like, I mean, why settle? Why have the mentality of settling for a field goal anyway? I don't care how great your kicker is. Uh, you just mentioned percentages, right? Low percentage situation with a longer field goal, fourth and five, almost 50% conversion rate. I mean, that's an easy decision if you're asking me uh, and, or you're asking any coach with experience right there. But uh, the Broncos messed it up. But I, I think they messed it up prior to that drive even happening mm -hmm. as they're settling uh, for a field goal attempt. And, and so that's telling to me uh, as a better telling to me as I'm filing that away for future decisions. If you have that mentality, I don't know if it was because of the mistakes they made earlier in the game or or just that that um, tepid uh, mentality that you have, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, you temper things down and. I'm just trying to figure out why you're not aggressive with Russell Wilson. Why don't you have that type of mentality as a head coach play caller? Uh, but, yep, no, they, they settled for the field goal attempt. McManus missed it. Uh, and there you go. That's the ball game for Seattle. Uh, the, the dog cash is at home uh, once again right there in the National Football League. Especially, too, you think about why so tepid when you had 6.8 yards per play. And mm -hmm. to put that in context, that tied for the third highest mark of any NFL team in week one. That would have been by a pretty wide margin the highest yards per play of any team last year on the right. basis of the entire data from a season ago in 2021. In addition to that, though, I know you, you, you played for the Broncos. Mm -hmm. You are very close to that market. You had some insights, too, on McManus that people might not know about that I find really interesting. Yeah, I mean, go back a few years ago with Vic Fangio and uh, McManus. He, he is an ego guy. Uh, he wants a record. He wants a legacy in the National Football League. Uh, and some of the comments from Hackett, you know, when McManus says, yeah, get me to the 46-yard line and we're good. And I'm like, really? I mean... Come on, McManus. I mean, you, you have not been stellar beyond 60 yards anyway, but he wants the record. And I'll take you back a couple of years ago, a few years ago, Vic Fangio, he walked on the field as if he was trying to persuade Vic Fangio to kick a long, uh, attempt a long field goal attempt at home in Denver, which would have came close to the record. I think it was going to be about 65 yards. Uh, and Justin uh, Tucker has the record right now. 66. 66. So, there you go with McManus trying to persuade. And he threw his helmet around. He was kicking his helmet. He had his tirade on the sideline. A kicker. <laughs> so what you're saying, this is like a not-so-secret. Oh, no. Oh, no. No thing within the Denver circles that right. this guy is very ego-driven. And Absolutely. is literally trying to convince his coach to try a kick that, as we just laid out the numbers, very, very low percentage of making. McManus, for what it's worth, he's tried six different kicks now right. of mm -hmm. 62 yards or longer from anywhere from a range of 62 to 70 he is 0 for 6. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, right, right. It's documented, too. I mean, he, he actually got, came out the locker room early. Uh, it was during the game at home. He came out the locker room early before anybody else 
lined up a tee so everybody can watch him kick a 65-yard field goal just to show uh, Vic Fangio that he can make it. That's wild. Which is very wild. But, you know, you're Hackett, you're a new coach, uh, you're trying to establish credibility, and some of the leaders or, or older statesmen on rosters, they can have that kind of influence, right? And so you heard that from Hackett at his press conference. I believe we have the best kicker uh, in the National Football League. I believe he can make that, even though he hasn't proven to you that he can make it, right? He tells you he can make it. He probably shows you in practice that he can make it. But practice is completely different than a game situation on Monday Night Football. So uh, Hack is going to have to fix that. There's two ways you coach in a National Football League. One, you have to establish credibility. How do you do that? Are you stepdad as you want everybody to accept you as you, they welcome you into their family? Or are you the boss? And it's like, look, this is how I'm coaching. You don't have to like me, but this is how we're going to do things. And so Hack has got a big decision to make, and I think that's very telling as we move through the season with the Denver Broncos. Especially, too, you're talking about a kick at sea level versus at, right. at, at mile high in Denver as well. Just yet another layer mm-hmm. to that decision. For what it's worth, Nathaniel Hackett post game talking about the decision behind the kick on fourth and five instead of, well, you would have thought maybe if your franchise quarterback would be a guy who would talk you out of certain decisions. <laughs> well, that was not the case. And here's how Hackett explained it last night. We were right on the line, and he had plenty of distance. You know, he he just missed it, and so and, and again, that's hey, Brandon gave it his best shot. I mean, that's a long field goal to hit. I think he's completely capable of that. But obviously, I wish we would have gotten a lot closer. But it put us in that weird spot there because we were in the field goal range, but we were on that fourth down situation. Um, didn't think we were going to get that many yards. So I thought it was a great job by Javante, and uh, we just made the decision. We want to take our shot there uh, on that one. All right. That is at least some conviction from a head coach. Yeah. But here's the reality. And we right. talked about this heading into week one, Mike. From the betting perspective, it was how much could you really trust these true rookie head coaches mm-hmm. and how much of an adjustment period did we feel like there would be? Right. Well, here's what happened in week one. You ended up with five different rookie head coaches. Mm-hmm. Four of the five not only covered, but they won outright. And only one of them actually won as a favorite. That would have been Mike McDaniel there in Miami. You had three other coaches winning as outright underdogs in week one. Your lone exception was what we saw last night with Nathaniel Hackett. And to me, it shows just because a coach is a rookie and has not been there before, there is still a reasonable level of expectation you can have where a coach should be, based on preseason preparation, past experiences, coordinators, able to manage games to a certain degree. Yet it is glaringly obvious when a coach does not have that. It's a lot more obvious as, as when a coach doesn't have it versus when he does. And we saw that pretty pretty much exposing Nathaniel Hackett right away. And you have to keep that in mind, I think, Mike, at least how you're power rating Denver going forward. When you think of how the clock management and the general game game flow situations were mangled so poorly and so obviously by Hackett last night. Yeah, Ben, I mean, there's a learning curve for everybody, uh, not only players, but certainly coaches too. And uh, I, I know Hackett, his family, the history with the, with the game. I mean, everybody's going to hype that up. And uh, across the network, uh, as an NFL analyst here at VEASAN, uh, I, I said that on pretty much every show. I think the Broncos are overrated right now. You have you cannot rank or, or rate them high. Uh, you can have a high opinion. Maybe they get there. Uh, there's some good things that happen in this game, which we can we can highlight again too. But uh, that first game, that environment. And by the way, speaking of that environment, um, when they booed Russell, you could see it in his eyes. That bothered him. If you were in tune with that end game, credit to you. Um, but when they booed him like that, that bothered that player. I've been 
and situations as a player. You return back against the team you're playing against. You don't yeah. get booed. I mean, everybody claps or they give you appreciation of what. But when they booed Russell like that, that bothered him. Never happened to you, though? No. You never no, never got booed like that. <laughs> Mike's such a nice guy. <laughs> never There's got no booed like way that. Never like that. happened. No vitriol toward one Mike no, no. Pritchard. And at the end of the day, you talk about some of the positives for Denver. You outgained Seattle by uh, near 200. Yeah. 433 to 253. You had 6.8 yards per play. Time of possession advantage, about seven minutes. At the end of the day, though, first team since 1987 to fumble twice inside the one-yard line. You talked about in-game, Mike? Mm-hmm. Somebody in this studio may or may not have had Denver team total over 26 and a half in game. Okay. I don't know who, who yeah. that might have been. Well, it wasn't me. So oh. I don't know who else it could have been, but this guy. Okay. <laughs> when, but when you're making mistakes right. like that with poor coaching, oh, yeah. it can so easily siphon away any other good thing you are doing within the right. game. And that's now the big question for Denver going forward. 10 point home favorites next week against Houston. Ooh. A team that looked, who, by the way, played all their right. guys in the preseason. Denver didn't. Yeah. That'll be an interesting line for next week. We'll get your quick thoughts on the week two line. Also, look at the Seattle angle because a lot of good takeaways on the Seahawks side in a big divisional matchup next week as we continue right here on the Lombardi line. Listening to the Lombardi Line on VSIN, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. It is time to download Nevada's premier sports betting app, BetMGM Sports. BetMGM is all of your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted odds specials, and much more. Download the BetMGM app today and stop by any MGM casino on the Strip with your state-issued ID to open an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM. State-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call one 800 522 Back alongside the former NFL wide receiver, who's two of his three teams played mm-hmm. against each other last night, Mike Pritchard. I'm Ben Wilson, Matt Santos, our outstanding producer behind the glass. Before we move to the Seattle angle here going forward, where the Seahawks do get the win last night, 17-16, mm-hmm. you had noticed a lot of quarterbacks who did not play in the preseason really struggle in week one. Russell Wilson, one of nine different quarterbacks who took zero preseason snaps as a presumed starter for his team to then lose outright in week number one here, Mike. Right. And that, to me, I imagine is a pretty telling sign going forward, at least for betting in week one specifically, when you think about general storylines to look at in the future, and you think about how that relates to this week two line where we've seen this tick up in the overnight line from 44 to 45 now. Texans going to Denver, taking on the Broncos. Broncos laying 10 here against a Texans right. team who went pretty all out in the preseason playing their starters and you noticed a pretty big discrepancy with a lot of these quarterbacks who looked awfully rusty. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I was c- kind of curious about the situation, too. I mean, you, we got a graphic for it. I mean, it's 11 quarterbacks, and, and you're thinking about didn't start the starting quarterbacks, right, and uh, or key starters and uh, guys that didn't practice or play in preseason. Uh, yeah, you had eight of them lose, and you had three of them win. Now, Lamar Jackson struggled. Justin Herbert, they should have lost. They could have lost. And then Kirk Cousins kind of ran away with it. Uh, but – just a lot of great information as a better uh, right here. Uh, the slow starts, too. Uh, the lack of uh, explosiveness. I mean, uh, you have continuity, and maybe you kind of rest on that a little bit, but yet you still have to prepare. Uh, iron sharpens iron, Ben. I mean, we all know that as football players. But, uh, you know, Derek Carr had a chance, but obviously threw on, throwing picks uh, that way. Dak Prescott, I mean, look at that offense on Sunday Night Football. 
I mean, I, I guess I get that they have injuries, but everybody has injuries. That's part of the life of in, in the National Football League. Aaron Rodgers. I mean, you drop a pass uh, at the, to start the game, a touchdown pass, and I just go down the list, and a lot of things you can see in those games and those matchups you can attribute to the fact that they didn't start or they didn't play in preseason. If the Broncos would have played in preseason, maybe they don't fumble the rock uh, inside the five-yard line twice, or or certainly they have a different philosophy to end of the game. Uh, so that's why I'm going to carry it over uh, to week two because they're going to say the same things. And they're not going to use it as excuses. You can't use it as an excuse. But what are you going to do from an attention to detail? And that's what the National Football League is about. When you adjust and you're getting ready for that next opponent, it's attention to detail. You correct your mistakes. We all get graded. We'll get our grade sheet. We'll see all the negatives. We'll see all the pluses. Uh, but then we will we'll go over corrections. Like Monday, it typically is a correction day. Mm -hmm. uh, Tuesday, you have day off for sure. But then Wednesday, you get back to work. And so everything's about correcting and, and moving forward in the league. And so when you look at some of these lines, keep that in mind. Uh, the performances we saw uh, in week one, probably the cause of the fact or the, the, the result of the fact that uh, a lot of these guys didn't prepare properly in the preseason. And as you see, as you mentioned too, three and eight, your record for the 11 quarterback. So eight losses, mm -hmm. not nine, like I had uh, said there a second ago. But the question now becomes, we always talk about week one to week two, such an overreaction right. week in the betting markets. Yet at the same time, and I wonder your perspective on this from the player's side of this, is it just as automatic as, all right, a team that looked really, really bad and unprepared in week one, they fix all those mistakes going ahead to week two? Or is this more of like a three, four-week thing that has to get ironed out and you eventually see those general raw mistakes corrected over time here and right. not necessarily just in a five- to six-day span where, keep in mind, Seattle and Denver, both of these teams will be on short weeks mm -hmm. next week. Well, I think it's relative. Like, for instance, um, with, with Green Bay, uh, they have a, some young players that just need to catch up to the standard. And once they do, they're going to be okay because of that quarterback. Um, I think if you're the Rams and you're looking at Matt Stafford and you're looking at what happened against Buffalo, a caliber of opponent, one, other than two, they were out of shape. They're going to be in shape after a long week getting ready for their week two opponent, which I believe is Atlanta. Uh, so they're going to be in better shape and, okay, they're going to execute. Uh, everything's going to be more smooth out there for, for the Rams, I would imagine, offensively and then defensively. I mean, how is Atlanta's offense going to go up against that defense? You look at matchups. So it's an individual case-by-case -case mm -hmm. situation. And that's how I would look at it, to be honest with you, Ben. I mean, uh, for instance, New England, they played in preseason, but they have substantial issues with protection schemes. And uh, so they, they got a lot of work to do. So as a better, that's stuff that if you file it away, uh, you can use that towards your handicap uh, each and every week. And then you also have on the flip side the teams that were not expected to do anything that mm -hmm. looked really, really good right. in week one, like right. Seattle for last night. And we we spent so much time at the top here breaking down the end of game situation and how everything played out for Denver. At the same time, this was a, a quarterback in Geno Smith who comes out, was incredibly efficient, completed his first mm -hmm. 13 passes for Seattle. And, and a group in general, you see how Geno finishes 23 of 28 on the day, 195 yards, couple touchdowns, and without an interception. With the health of Rashad Penny as well, 12 carries for 60 yards, looked really efficient. Mike on the ground getting about five yards per carry. A team that was projected to be far and away the worst team in the NFC West from a win total, divisional odds perspective here. A team that had a little over 5.2 yards per play, got the ball to DK Metcalf seven different times. Yet having said all that, you wonder how much of this was just a 
getting up for their Super Bowl, right. essentially facing their former quarterback in Russell Wilson, and how much of this is actually predictive going forward. That's probably our biggest question coming out here for Seattle after week one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think Geno Smith played a lot better than people anticipated him playing. Uh, but again, across the network, I, I have been talking about the fact that DK Metcalf, Lockett, and others, Disley, I mean, everybody else was going to make him play better than he did in what we saw in the preseason. Those were backups he was playing with. You know, those guys were dropping passes and – uh, it was going to be better for Gino, and then you throw in a motion the first game to the great unknown. He was highly efficient, very, very efficient. But my takeaway here, though, with Gino, in the first half, you know, the great unknown, 17 points. Um, I think um, uh, the the offense for the Seattle Seahawks had about 220 yards. In the second half, they only had 34 yards and no points. So think about that from a complete roster standpoint and what you can do as a team. What can you get to? What can you adjust with? Seattle ran out of options, whereas Denver defensively caught up to what Seattle was doing in the second half and shut them down. So now as you're looking forward to a divisional matchup against San Francisco with tape, you know the 49ers are going to have a plan to mm -hmm. kind of shut down or, or cause Seattle to have a slow start. And what can Seattle adjust to? I don't know if they have much to adjust to at this point. They ran the ball well. They're physical. Uh, the left rookie tackle against Bosa – I mean, that, that's going to be an interesting... Charles uh, Cross, right. welcome to the league. Is right. that one of those games? I mean, we I saw guess. Chubb kind of get to him late. And so yeah. pass rushers, they file that away and, and they get after it. They set them up. And at some point during the course of a game, they're going to know exactly what to do against that left tackle, that rookie left tackle. So uh, be careful with that big number. I know it's ticked down a little bit, uh, but it is the 49ers here. Uh, and it is uh, the Seattle Seahawks in the divisional game. And uh, just compare rosters... Uh, uh, as you do your research on that game. Well, it's funny. The betting market clearly viewing this game as a classic overreaction spot mm -hmm. from week one to week two because this was 10 on the look-ahead line when you look at Seattle. They go right. to San Francisco, home opener there for Trey Lance and the 49ers, who we'll get into here in a second. But then when it was reposted last night, down to 8.5, so clearly a point-and-a-half adjustment mm -hmm. based on what we saw week one. Overnight, that has quickly been hammered up right. a point, up to either nines or we're showing on our screen, 9.5 at BetMGM. Market pretty much split between those two numbers with a total now of 42.5 at this point. And you just have to wonder for a Seattle team that had the four-point halftime lead, does not score in the second half, and those first three drives, if we take out the kneel downs at the end, 18 plays for 47 yards, yeah. a fumble and two punts. That to me will be the big question. And it is sort of coupled with, do you expect Trey Lance to look better than he did in an absolute monsoon in Chicago, where he was 32 out of 33 qualified quarterbacks in week one in the, in the overall metric of expected points added per play combined with the completions over expectation metric right. as well, which are the two I always look at evaluating quarterbacks because it really is a good indication of what, what the scheme is doing mm -hmm. to give quarterbacks open looks and how they are taking advantage of those as a result. Lance was awful in, sure. both, in both accounts in the week one performance. Are you buying that this is an overreaction spot and that, and that we might be in a buy low situation on San Francisco? Yeah, I do, because, you know, I, I played in a quagmire like that before. We mentioned that, and, and, you know, and the weather can affect a lot of things that you want to do and what you can do. Uh, there's so many other plays in the playbook for San Francisco uh, and their matchup against Seattle, a familiar opponent, too, in that defense. I mean, uh, say what you will about Pete Carroll and, and finding these corners, but, man, that defense was so vanilla and so predictable with the five-man blitz uh, packages or the five-man rushes that they had. Jamal Adams is out, too. And we don't know the severity of his knee injury. And that defense completely changed their scheme and what they wanted to do. Uh, I think Troy Aikman even mentioned it. 
there's a lot of plays defensively out the playbook now because Adams isn't on the field. And they said after the game, quote, significant quad injury. Yeah. So feared out multiple weeks, if mm -hmm. not longer for Jamal Adams. And that was, I think, the biggest surprise. At least right. I had that Russell Wilson was unable to take advantage of those rookie corners while there were a lot of opportunities out there. Betting market certainly would indicate, Mike, that this right. is going to be an overreaction spot. And they've already bet this up uh, by an entire point. Seattle and San Francisco for week number two. Speaking of divisional matchups, big Thursday night game kicking off the whole slate of Amazon Prime Thursday night games. Chargers Chiefs. We begin our breakdown next as we continue right here on the Lombardi Line. Listening to the Lombardi Line on VSIN, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. Start your football season on the right foot by subscribing to VSIN Pro. Get full access to everything we do, including our daily picks at a glance recap of the top plays made by VSIN show hosts and guests. 24 7 video, season prep, including our weekly college and pro football matchup guides covering every game all season long. Pro tools like our exclusive betting splits and pro tips updated every hour with actionable insights to up your betting game. Sign up on our discounted football special and get VEASAN Pro access to everything we do from now through the Super Bowl for only $175. We're save 50% off the monthly price with an annual subscription and bet smarter all year long. Go to VEASAN.com slash subscribe for all your options and become part of the Sports Betting Network. Speaking of picks at a glance, one pick that Mike Pritchard showed some restraint not making we talked about this last year for people who are unfamiliar. Mike Pritchard likes to play teasers. And so your former teams, your three teams, you can play the three-team 10-point teasers in a lot of the markets. Your three former teams, though, would be asking a lot this year because Falcons, Seahawks, Broncos, right. your three former teams, yet that teaser would have won this week. That but you did not cashed. play it. That would have cashed. Uh, you showed restraint. I did. I was well disciplined. Done. Yep, I didn't want to tease through zero, and then I would have had to do that. Look at you. Uh, Look with, at this yeah, smart right. guy. Exactly. But, I mean, early on, I mean, or when the number kicked, uh, ticked up, uh, I could have teased the Broncos down to a point, right? But uh, certainly the closing number, you don't want to tease through that, through that number. But um, teasing Seattle up would have been nice, too. And then Atlanta. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, from a, a three-leg teaser play, uh, three, it, it cashed nicely last year. And we stumbled upon it uh, on Betting Across America. We kind of stumbled upon it, and I played it. And uh, it's fascinating because, you know, you go in various books around town here in Vegas, uh, and people were, like, asking me about the three-team, former-team teaser there. Uh, but, no, I think it went 3-1 and one last year, the way I, that I played it, and then it would have been off to a great start uh, this year. But uh, just some discipline with an earlier number. Now, the closing number uh, – well, the closing number, but the earlier number certainly I had a chance to kind of play that uh, – that teaser situation, though. Yeah, and at least for people wondering, if you were not familiar, you lose a lot of the win equity when you tease through zero because the numbers one and two mm -hmm. and, and zero as well are not, obviously, unless of a tie, not outcomes that usually hit. So you are just inherently losing a lot of your own value when you, when you are going through the two, the one, the right. zero, the one, and the two again. And that's why we always recommend, at least for teasers, you go through the three and the seven, the key numbers on one side, either teasing a favorite down or teasing an underdog up. But and that's, and that's where that comes from in general. Let me ask you a question, though. Should I re-examine because it's plus 160 for a three-leg teaser? Or you could do the 10-point, which is or, minus yeah, 120. It's minus 120. That's what well, I was referring to. That point, would have cashed with yeah. your former teams. Well, right, a 10-point, but a, a, a six-point standard teaser, I mean, it's plus 160, though. Like, Just keep it simple, Mike. Okay. My, my, just Don't tease find, zero. Okay, find a book that has the <laughs> minus 120 juice. That, okay. Those books do exist. Anything more, and you're not getting the proper value right. you should on a two point, on a two team six point teaser. When you start getting into the yeah. three or multiple teams, 
becomes a little dicey. Well, and that's the way my, that, that's at least my opinion. the way that Denver played uh, was going to be interesting in terms of uh, teaser situations for them. And then Atlanta, um, <laughs> I mean, I think the secondary is more improved than people will give them credit for. And then Mariota and and the creativity on offense. And then Seattle, you know, I I think Seattle is saddled with limitations right now, and can they work through those? So. Uh, it's in the portfolio. I don't know when I'm going to play it, though, with my former team, uh, three-leg teaser right there. Being selected. VC yeah. pro tip of the hour, which, by the way, we have on all of our uh, all of our shows every single hour. Sort it by shows, by sport as well. Be, a, being selective with your teaser selections and avoiding teasing games through zero where you're losing a lot of that plus EV value that makes teasers so intriguing and profitable in the first place and also making sure you are finding a minus 120 juice right. if you're doing that. Because some books are up to minus 140 now. I mean, yeah, and that is just those. criminal. Yeah, so do is. not be playing into those markets. Just be very aware of your strategy on teasers when you go in and, and be really, really disciplined like, uh, like Mike Pritchard, even though yours, again, would have won. We'll see <laughs> if this game Thursday is a teaser candidate. I would imagine it is not, even though this is a pretty tightly lined divisional showdown between the Chargers and the Chiefs coming up in Kansas City, where we've seen the market settle just outside of that field goal range. So you have Kansas City at home here hosting the Chargers, couple of 1-0 teams in that 3.5 to 4-point range. As I look at my updated numbers on the screen now, we've settled down to 3.5s pretty much everywhere. There were some 4s at first, but market has grabbed any of those up numbers and taken it down there with the Chargers. Total up to 54, 54.5. These overnights got hammered Sunday night in the 52, 52.5 range. A lot of love to the over. We'll start there, Mike, with how good Kansas City looked. 44 points. Patrick Mahomes nearly perfect. Right. Five touchdowns, no interceptions. A Chiefs team that ran 66 plays, 33 of them went for first downs. And then the high-powered offense that is Justin Herbert and the Chargers, who did put up 24 points, most of those points early, before hanging on for dear life against the Raiders. Are you in, in line with this market move here to the over? Pretty pretty significant. Already a high total to begin with, 52.5 up to 54 or 54.5. Yeah, I am in tune with it, and I'm curious about it too because I think both of these teams have the personnel for the necessary adjustments, uh, and they certainly have the firepower. Uh, I mean, in a controlled, efficient game, um, Kansas City could score at will. Uh, and we know how explosive the Chargers can be. They have a lot of weapons, even with the injuries of Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen has lost a few steps, and uh, they have more speed on the field without Keenan, Keenan Allen, to be honest with you. Mike Williams has got to get involved. And then Austin Eckler, I mean, in the backfield, too. I mean, the Chargers have a lot of weapons. Everett, the tight end, they have a lot of places mm -hmm. to go. At least Justin Herbert will. And they protected him well against two, two all-pro defensive ends or rush pass rushes, if you will, for the Raiders. So you, you got the Chargers in this division, and everybody in the, in the division, they want to chase the Chiefs, and they want to catch them. So think about the moves. Kittle, Mack. I mean, J.C. Uh, Jackson, we'll talk about his injury situation too, but everybody's chasing the Chiefs, and the Chiefs had to evolve away from what they were just so they can stay in front of all the teams. The Chiefs... Played well at home in terms of a straight-up situation, 7-2, and 5-1 uh, and one in the Division 2. Now, the Chargers, the matchups, though, they could have swept the Chiefs. Now, I think with a better roster, maybe a deeper roster, more experience, too, on the roster continuity because uh, you have the same offense for Justin Herbert, it could be interesting. But it's a short mm -hmm. week in the Division 2, so you got to look at that. Uh, but I, I'm in tune with the over. I'm focused more on the over or, or the total situation uh, than I would be to spread uh, on an early week uh, game right here between two divisional uh, games, uh, two divisional teams here. And you see some of the trends as well, showing how L.A. has done a really good job mm -hmm. traveling to Kansas City specifically. Right. So it's not like you you feel like, oh, this is a huge 
a huge back against the wall situation for the Chargers where you don't give them much of a shot going to Kansas City because they have proven it last four meetings. Oh, yeah. Three covers and a push against the number. Three covers, one loss, one push against the number. Just in general, last five meetings in this series against Kansas City. I do have some concerns, though. While I would not want to jump out in front of that train and, and just make a raw contrarian underbet here, Mike, mm -hmm. Chargers were one of those. I don't, I don't know that I would go as far as to say smoke and mirrors week one wins, but... You think about how little they did in the second half. A team that we figured would be really hard to beat because of how their offense comes at you for 60 minutes. But you go down the, the box score and you watch how that game ended in week one. They cover the three and a half or four, beat the Raiders by five, 24-19. But you look, at Mike, at how this box score ended for Justin Herbert, even though his raw numbers are really good, 26 to 34, 279 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, as mm -hmm. efficient as you would expect right. a guy like Justin Herbert as a young quarterback. Final five drives, three punts, a missed field goal, and then they were able to run out the clock. 21 plays, 43 yards in a game that had all the makings of a wide open back and forth affair. And it was really by virtue of Derek Carr throwing two really bad interceptions down the stretch that to me, Mike, the, the Chargers were incredibly fortunate to have gotten out of that game with a win in week one, considering how lifeless they looked on offense yeah. and, and you just have to wonder in a divisional game against an offense that powerful of Kansas City on the other side does that come back to Han LA here in, in a week two matchup you know it'll be interesting uh Ben I know when a, a a premier player goes down and maybe Keenan Allen was more involved with the game plan then you're adjusting to it uh and you know they got to Carter they got to some other uh, players on the offense side of the ball but I focus on the defense for the Chargers because I think if the Chargers are going to make the playoffs and make a run, their defense has to be all that. Uh, and I saw uh, a nice game plan from Staley defensively taking away Hunter Renfro. I mean, Devontae Adams went crazy, but I think they knew that. They knew that Carr was going to be highly comfortable with Devontae Adams. And, okay, yeah, throw the ball to him. Uh, but can we stop other people? Uh, Darren Waller uh, got a touch. He should have had a touchdown. Uh, that was a Carr a missed bad, that. bad miss bad by Carr. Yeah. And Devontae Adams should have had a touchdown too, though. But – uh, from what they want to do and take away, I, I think the Chargers defense was effective that way. Uh, I think they're going to try to do that with Kelsey uh, because you think about the middle of the field, and that's what they took away for from the Raiders that way with the interceptions and everything. So uh, Kelsey is a guy that can hurt you. Uh, and so can a running game. Uh, and you mentioned the Raiders uh, and, and what they were able to do. They gashed the Chargers a little bit. So the Chargers on a short week have a lot of ground to cover. That's why I'm not yeah. focused on the spread. But from a total standpoint, um, I think both teams, I, I think the Chargers will still be explosive, but both teams will have a lot of ground to cover defensively to slow down each other's offense. And that's it, obviously when you're looking at these week one evaluations, it's which side do you feel like, mm -hmm. do you feel like more bore out the results? And is it, was it Derek Carr missing, missing throws, missed Waller on a, a had a good amount of separation yeah. for a touchdown or was it, or were you impressed with the Chargers secondary? Those are the questions you have to ask yourself. And if we're looking at what the Chargers did last year, worst team on third down defense, nearly 49% of their opponents uh, converting those third downs and the Raiders go five of 11, able to extend drives consistently on third downs. That's why I have some concerns about the Chargers heading in. Okay. That number feels pretty good though, right? I mean, you're, when you're laying a hook in a divisional game, it's a little scary, scary. on a short week. I, so I probably will not be getting involved. Yeah, I, I'm focused on the total. Absolutely. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper on that total situation. Going into the total. When we return, we'll get Will Hill's thoughts at least early on the Thursday night football matchup as we return next here on the Lombardi Line.
listening to the Lombardi Line on VSIN, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. Turn a loss into a win with the King of Sportsbooks. Place a one-game parlay wager with at least four legs on any Major League Baseball game. If all legs of the parlay hit but one, you'll get your stake back in free bets up to $25. Log into your account or download the app and sign up with BetMGM. To take advantage of this offer all season long, just opt into the one-game parlay insurance promotion, then place a one-game parlay wager with four legs or more on any Major League Baseball game. If you miss only one leg on your wager, you'll receive up to $25 back in free bets. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or to wager new and existing customer offer all promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit free bets expire seven days from issuance please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in Nevada New York or Washington DC as we're back on the Lombardi line presented by BetMGM I'm Ben Wilson in for Patrick Maher Michael Lombardi back tomorrow so in his stead our Tuesday crew Mike Pritchard here with me in studio Circus Sportsbook in downtown Las Vegas, and we have our good pal Will Hill, VSIN contributor, on the line right now at Not the Will Hill. Uh, gave out some winners for us uh, when we had you on last Tuesday. Will, nice call. Bears, Niners under. That was probably as, as easy of a win as anybody would have had there in week one. How did the rest of your week one card there go, my friend? Uh, pr- pretty well. Uh, again, it's uh, it's week one, so a long year ahead of us. It's on to week two. Definitely a little bit of a withdrawal tonight. First time in a few days here. We haven't had action. We had the crazy day Saturday with all the upsets, even a little football Friday night, the crazy day Sunday. Whatever the hell that was at the end of the game last night, I'm still trying to figure that out. I mean, they're going to be studying that for 100 years, trying to figure out what happened. And now it's a, a quiet Tuesday. We sort of recharge our batteries Tuesday and Wednesday. Before you know it, we get a great game Thursday with the uh, with the Chiefs and the Chargers. Will, as a better, are you relieved that we are approaching week two, though? Because it's such a great unknown week, week one and so many things can happen. And, uh, you know, you, you probably, probably feel pretty good and confident about your capping situations, but... Now, I think as betters, it certainly has a chance for everything to improve and and for us to look at some angles there to help us out with that confidence. Yeah, and now we we try to answer the age-old question. How do you make an adjustment but not overreact? You don't want to totally ignore right. what you saw week one, but you don't want to um, just completely overreact to it either. Um, so that's uh, that's always a tricky sort of line to, to toe there where you got to make some sort of adjustment. You can't just ignore what you saw, but you don't want to completely just you know lose your mind over one game. And, uh, yeah, we have three plays from you here just to get to in a second, Will, on the NFL, one in college as well. well. I was asking Mike about this, though, on the Thursday night game where you think about the injury report. We don't know if it, if J.C. Jackson will suit up for the Chargers in that secondary. Keenan Allen, Donald Parham, each dealing with hamstring injuries, not exactly ideal for L.A. on a short week. And then you have the Harrison Butker unknowns where he leaves with the ankle injury, comes back, makes a field goal there for Kansas City. And Trent McDuffie also dealing with a hamstring injury as well on a short week. How are you viewing that game? You didn't give us a, a side or total play on that one, but a fascinating matchup to kick off week two here in a couple days. Yeah, I would lean towards the Chiefs. Again, that's a tough spot for L.A., a short week travel. That's a hostile environment uh, with Kansas City. Look, Mahomes, I mean, why do we doubt this guy? It's like you know, you're <laughs> yeah. looking at the menu. Should I order the filet? Is the filet good? Order the filet. The filet is always going to be good. Mahomes is fine. He just looked like uh, his old self uh, on Sunday. Hill, no hill. It doesn't matter. So I think this line will probably creep up. I see three and a half now. I think with the injury report, with no Keenan Allen, uh, maybe four, four and a half. You get in that dead zone where maybe it closes five. But I do think we'll see some uh, movement towards the Chiefs here as they are home, a big home field advantage, and they just and they looked the part the other day. They didn't they didn't skip a beat. Yeah, you know, well, with your picks here, I'm glad we have you on the show because it's early in the week, and and certainly things can change before game time. But uh, Carolina catching two and a half points on the road against the New York Giants. 
Uh, so uh, what are you seeing in this game? Where are you going with this game early in the week? I like Carolina. I think they're a slightly better team than the Giants. I'm getting two and a half. And I like this angle. It's an 0-1 team catching points against a 1-0 team. The 0-1 team to me is desperate. Look, in, ba in baseball, basketball, you can go 0-1, 0-2. They play so many games, it doesn't matter. 0-2 in football is a crisis. It's maybe not a death sentence, but your season is on life support if you go 0-2. So uh, desperation here for Carolina. You're getting 2.5. Um, to me, Carolina is still a slightly better team. I know the Giants are improved. They're well coached now. Uh, Barkley certainly looked like he had some juice in his legs for the first time in a long time. But I certainly lean towards Carolina. I still think they are a slightly better team in what was, uh, you know, both these teams played in crazy games. Carolina yeah. and Cleveland was just a bizarre game. I mean, they were scoreless for so long. Then uh, Carolina gets way behind. They come back, but, you know, we see this all the time. You leave Cleveland a minute. You know what happens when a team has a minute and all they need is a field goal. They always get in a field goal range, it seems. So a uh, tough loss for Carolina, but I do like them to bounce back. I haven't bet it yet just because I don't think it makes sense to take plus two and a half this early in the week okay. just because you might get a three. We saw this last week with uh, Pittsburgh Cincy where it was six and a half all week. I liked Pittsburgh. I said, you know what? Maybe uh, I don't think I'll get a seven, but I'll hold out. Maybe I get a seven. It actually went to seven, seven and a half. Maybe it was teasers on the Bengals. No point taking two and a half early this week because if it goes to two, okay, you'd rather have two and a half, but it's not a big deal. If it goes from two and a half to three, that makes all the difference in the world. So I, I like Carolina, but I would wait just with the hope here that I can get a three. Okay, I would add yeah. two really tasty yeah. teaser. Like you're, you're telling that you're, tasty, you're asking Daniel yeah. Jones to beat you by eight and a half. I mean, it is, it is spot like that. He's still getting yelled at too. I think I, you're probably <laughs> right with, with the way uh, Brian Dable somehow able to turn it around in game one as the giants new head coach. Speaking of this, this general theme here, you've got the Owen one versus the one and oh, yet uh, this is certainly a matchup with a much different spread. It's Sunday Night Football. Bears going to Green Bay, taking on the Packers. Uh, how did you evaluate what we saw out of both of those teams and where that uh, factors then into a line after Green Bay looked awful week one and the Bears pulled off one of the big upsets there of the week against the Niners? Yeah, again, you got a 1-0 team in the Bears that's fat and happy, and you got a Green Bay team that's starving here, needs to uh, get a win against the team they've completely dominated. And you look at the scoreboard last week, it's certainly not pretty. Minnesota controlled the game but look green bay dropped a touchdown early in the game they also got stopped at the one that could have easily been a much closer game i think this is a prime bounce back spot where uh rogers the packers those receivers you know they need all the reps they can get so maybe they add uh you know a late touchdown uh, later in the game they keep throwing it more than they need to just to get that you know chemistry that uh sort of you know rapport with rogers and the receivers down i think the packers win i think they win big I don't like laying double digits in the NFL, but I'll do it here. Give me the Packers here, minus the 10. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about that because, I mean, it is a, a huge spread, double digits here and uh, early in the week again. But uh, we know Rodgers is trying to create that sense of urgency with these younger players, and here's why. I mean, you got two divisional games to start the season, and you just talked about that. You go 0-2, 0-2 in a division, that is difficult, right? And so, I mean, as a better, uh, are you <laughs> – I'm not confident. I mean, I, I know you might be a little bit more confident, but uh, get, from a confidence standpoint, laying a big number early in the week, uh, knowing that the Packers are not confident within themselves right now. Yeah, but we saw it last week, uh, last year, where they just got blown out. Remember that weird game in Jacksonville against the mm -hmm. Saints? They couldn't move the ball. The Saints dominated them. They bounced back. You know, they went on to have a great season, be the one seed. So we've seen this before with the Packers. I'm not sure that this is a Super Bowl team. You see some flaws on the roster, the receivers. Uh, but I do think this is a spot where they can bounce back. And Pritch, let me ask you a question. We yeah. saw the drop the other day with Watson. 
have you ever had a, a drop that bad? What's the worst drop you've ever had? Oh, have you ever man. had one that bad? Man, um, in college, in college, I vividly remember this one. It was against Barry Sanders in Oklahoma State. I was in a slot. They blew the coverage, and I just ran straight down the oh. college hash, wide open for a touchdown. I was a sophomore, though, Will. A big difference being a sophomore than Watson in the National Football League catching passes from Rodgers. But that did uh, fuel me, uh, obviously, and I, I went on to, to be a first-rounder. So, I mean – uh, hopefully Watson, uh, it'll be a learning lesson for him, and he'll be better for it. But, I mean, I, I just it just seems like Green Bay, they just don't have the confidence necessary yet. Last year when they lost, they still had Devontae Adams, and, okay, yeah. relax, that kind of situation. I think they're questioning things right now as a team uh, because of the youth on that roster right now. Yeah, no, I think there's uh, there's certainly some concerns here long term, but I do think they bounce back against mm -hmm. uh, yeah. against Chicago. I'm gonna try to YouTube that drop, see if I can. I, find I, it. I don't think it's, say, I don't think it's on YouTube. <laughs> Mike Pritchard, Mike Pritchard doing the doing the Texas A&M uh, yell crew, making sure they uh, yeah. that was scrubbed from the internet permanently <laughs> after we saw the, the embarrassing videos from Aggieland this weekend. Will one more NFL play to get to talk about as well the, the, these general thoughts on coaching mismatches, and I I was totally wrong. I like Bill Belichick in the spot for the Patriots week one. That was a loss for me against Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins. So you get another uh, Hall of Fame worthy head coach and John Harbaugh taking on McDaniel in Miami. Two 1-0 teams here in this matchup week two in Baltimore. What do you like in this spot? I'll take Miami plus three and a half. Baltimore's already shown some bumps and bruises. Left tackle Ronnie Stanley missed last week. He's questionable for this week. Backup Jawan James out for the season. I think he ruptured his Achilles. So that's a big position to have depth issues at, injury issues this early. They also lost Kyle Fuller. And if you look at the Ravens-Jets game, the Jets hung with them for a while. The Ravens just hit them for a couple of big plays where uh, the Jets actually outgained them pretty significantly for the game. Uh, a Miami team now, you're getting three and a half. They look fast. They have weapons all over the place. A beat-up offensive line for Baltimore. I'll take the three and a half here with the Dolphins. All right, Will. Yeah. And you're holding your nose. You're going you're gonna to do it. You're going to back Nebraska first game post Scott Frost era, really? He's not coaching, right? We have that confirmed. As long as he's not coaching, <laughs> he's I'm bad. If he's coach, if they reinstate him, if they rehire him, I'm going to try to uh, see if I can get my ticket voided. Frost is out. I'm in. Give me Nebraska. This is a little bit of an overreaction. There's still some talent on that team. I will take Nebraska. I think it's at 11 and a half. 11 and a half. Yeah, Mickey yeah. Joseph, the yeah. uh, the interim coach. Older brother, brother of Vance Joseph. Older brother of Vance Joseph. All right. Yeah. I, was, we were joking off air. We're like, Will's probably hoping that the, the coaching bloodlines, Vance Joseph's in-game coaching does not transition to his brother, Mickey. We hope. Will, great to have you on as always at Not The Willows, where you can find Will's outstanding work. We'll catch up with you again next Tuesday, my man. Thanks as always uh, as All we right, get ready. Guys. Of course, Will. You're the man. Uh, we get ready to talk some of the injury news because we've got some headlines coming out. We'll discuss at the top of our next segment right here on the Lombardi Line.